Zwift has group rides for all levels. With a ride approximately every 30 minutes, you can join a group and ride that fits your schedule and your level. Group rides stay together behind a leader. They enjoy friendly banter, a relaxed vibe, a little bit of fun and some friendly racing. Just like rides in the real world, except there's no worries about a rear wheel puncher slowing the group down or being left behind. Check it out for yourself at Zwift.com today. Bonjour, 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 and welcome to the Zwift Cycling Central podcast for another look at the crazy world of cycling over the last two weeks. I'm Christophe Malen, I'm your host. Before we start, let me remind you that you can download or stream our podcast on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash central from our website, sbs.com.au slash central or schedule a ride with our lovely friend at Zwift. They were both missing in action last time, but they're back and well and truly back in the studio today, welcoming Sophie Smith. Hi, Sophie. We missed you last time. I missed you. Good, good, good. Uh, Welcome back. And uh, Dave, we missed you too as well. We're both. Where were were you, Sophie? I was in Byron Bay. Oh, cool. Catching, well, getting caught by sharks, maybe? No, I went swimming with whales, actually. Oh, okay. Well, that's, yeah, good choice, good choice. Good to be back. I was working hard, you know, like, yeah. And a very interesting Instagram where you're meditating place as well on a, on a rock past the fence. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't meditating. That was my friend sort of pushing me out of my comfort zone and yeah, risking a compound fracture. Okay. But I'm here fracture free. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, let's talk about uh, what made news over the last two weeks. And of course, the Tour de France uh, 2018, the route has been revealed. It's going to be a tough one. And that's not me saying it. It's Chris from uh, Probably the toughest for, uh, for a sprinter. Uh, I don't know, for the, for the GC riders, I think I'm going to have to go away and study it a bit more. But um, certainly, uh, as I said earlier, it's going to be a course that really does challenge a lot of different aspects of, of bike racing. So it's tough. OK, Chris from thinks it's going to be tough. Uh, what do we think? Well, gee, yeah, why would you think that? It's only three weeks of racing around the country. <laughs> I know, I know. And then we don't even talk about the temperatures it's, or anything yeah. like <laughs> What about us, mate? What about us? We're the ones, we're the ones doing those crazy transfers. We've already yeah, discussed those, haven't we? In cars without, yeah. like, laundry machines and, yeah. And having to listen to the French radio, which is actually rubbish. Yeah, having to listen oh, to the I, I, like, I like the <laughs> Tina Bopper stuff for it's three terrible. weeks. It's crazy. Well, this year, was it just Ed Sheeran on loop? No, Did you Harry Styles. That? Harry Styles. No, my radio session was like Ed Sheeran. <laughs> <laughs> Mine was Harry Styles. To the point, them. I have well, when you hear it that many times, you kind of people mention his name now, and I kind of go. Ugh. Uh, yeah. To me, it was Harry Styles. Like I couldn't, yeah. I could not get away from Harry Styles. I heard you're a massive One Direction fan, though, Christophe. <laughs> it's out. She got it's me out. there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, seriously, uh, the tour starts in Noirmoutier, a little bit later than usual because there is a certain football tournament called the World Cup, and I don't want to clash with this. Uh, what do we make of this tour? Uh, I think straight off the bat, my initial response is excited because there's a couple of things. I love Alpe d'Huez. I love going to the Alps and, of course, that famous mountain. But then there's a 68-kilometre stage. One of the, It's got to be one of the shortest in the history of Tour de France history. Plus, we're back to the Parvay, and Absolutely. I love the Parvay. I don't love riding on it, but I love seeing Do other riders ride on it. Do you know who doesn't love it, actually, is Froome. Well, he, he, he crashed yeah, out of that tour yeah. a few years ago. But he and, crashed and out. He didn't even make it to the first Parvay sector when he crashed out. Absolutely. There you go. Maybe he broke his like wrist. the rain. So I think it's, it's – I love it because for him in his mind, it's a bit of a, okay, I want redemption from that, that Tour de France that year. 
but there's a lot of sectors. There's not two or three. There's quite a lot. It's a proper, it's a serious stage. There's a huge time spent in Brittany as well because it's properly doing the round of Brittany. That's very important because where cycling or French cycling is, you know, the home of cycling is really Brittany. I think someone named Lance Armstrong, I think, said that uh, the French really want a French winner. Um, Thank you, Captain <laughs> Revelation. I am not even playing that grub. You know? Is that... Is that <laughs> Is that? I think that might sum up why our podcast surpassed his in ratings during the tour this year. Uh, I hope it is, <laughs> and then we're going to do even better <laughs> next year. Uh, but no, seriously, do you think that that route has been done for someone like Bardet? He came out after the, the presentation and he said, I like these marathon stages. So there's some really long stages as well that are very, very steep up and down. Has it been made for someone like him? I don't think so, actually. To uh, Disclaimer, I haven't had a proper look at all the stages, but it's been touted as one of the shortest tours in the 21st century. And I don't know overall if there's enough of a marathon-type setup. Um, I think Christophe, or Christian Prudhomme, sorry, said it was an ultra-dynamic course. I don't think Bardet's synonymous with ultra-dynamic yeah, I, yeah, I, I tend to agree. And but but to sort of go one step further, I don't think it necessarily suits anyone. I think each year we say, oh, they're trying to make it more difficult for Chris Froome to win. Now that may be true. Didn't work he, this year. He's passed all. <laughs> he's passed all the tests, hasn't he? And he's passed them with flying colours and better than all his rivals. We've, he's he's improved in his descending. He's improved in his he's riding in a, a big peloton. Um, strategically as well strategically well, you thought they could not improve they yeah. actually did the crosswinds a couple of years ago broke clear with Peter Sagan and tried to sprint him into the stage finish but so so far he's the man to beat if he turns up in 2018 uh, in the form he had in 2017 he'll be a hard man to beat regardless of the course what about the reduction in team size in squad size because there's a whole discussion that they want to make it even harder for Sky yeah. are they not actually making it easier for Sky because they are so well resourced yeah that's that's a very good point you can flip you can flip it the other way can't you and I would have liked to have seen it go from nine to seven um, that was the initial thought I think but yeah they had to retract to eight yeah yeah so it's a lot of people out of work <laughs> again again i don't think it favors anyone more or less uh you know i just I, I i like what they've done taking one out take two out make it even more but as you say they've got they're so well resourced their nine riders are champions in their own right so it's a tricky one it's also attitudes in the peloton as well this season at the tour there was a lot of riders and we've mentioned it before and it happened with the climbers and the sprinters that kind of just resigned to Okay, first place is set. We'll we'll race for podium or maintaining our own position. For me, that's been like a factor in the last couple of tours. Personally, is like this sort of resignation within the peloton after a few stages a week, whatever it is. So hopefully, maybe with something that's a bit more of a lottery like this course, that might sort of shake up that mentality too. And with with this first week, the way it's shaped, um, Chris Froome might not be in yellow on the first race day, which basically was the key the, this year where he was in yellow very early in the race. So he mm. sort of locked in the race very early. That might not be the case through the design. He'll be beaten at some point. We know that. <laughs> it might take three more years. It might take 2018. We don't know. He's getting to the point now. You know, what we're also remind everyone is he's going for number five. So it's a bit of a monumental race, this one, for him. And in, and in the context of the history of the Tour de France and the sport. So, you know, I think back to when Miguel Indurain was going for number six 
And I remember that first mountain stage. I still remember it as a kid watching it. And we're all just like, is he going to do it? And he cracked on the first big mountain stage. Will we see that happen to Froome this year? Will he just crack somewhere? Will he, you know, is his reign over? Will Richie Port step up? Will Bardet step up? Will his time trolling improving? I think they're all the questions in the build-up and, and before that opening stage, that they're the questions that won't be answered, and that's good. How significant do you think that Parve sector is, particularly for like the mountain goat climbers, for want of a better phrase? Well, <laughs> they're not physically designed yeah. to go over cobbles. Good question. I've driven over them, and that was scary enough. Yeah, no, it's terrible. Yeah. And without taking the weather into consideration as well, it might rain. Oh, let's have it make it, let's have it I actually think it would be great if he does. <laughs> that's I'm not bad, sitting on that to my left. Well, you know what? Remember, remember a few years years ago when Vincenzo Nibali won the tour and you know he's look at him he's a slight build uh, climber but he's a great bike handler but he proved it even more so on that Parve day he was the best he was and his teammate um, Lars Bohm was with him on that day he won the stage I think mm-hmm. it rained and poured and the stage finished right on the edge of the Arenberg forest it was terrible so yeah they, they shortened the um, that stage that day didn't they? No, I don't Isn't think so. No, no. no. Okay. But it was, oh, geez, they could have. It was, it was, it was a terrible day. So, someone like when you said that about how will it suit or not suit the the, the real specific climbers, yeah. Quintana, he handles himself well. For a little guy, he handles himself well in the in a peloton of riders. So. I, I, I wouldn't put it past him to ride front group on that day. Yeah, and the news of that week, actually, Quintana said, I will be the team leader in the Tour. So I guess we sort of answer the question, will Lander, uh, what role Lander would play or where will he be there or not? That's the next question. But How do you say free Lander in Spanish? I don't know. That's the thing. <laughs> 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 this uh, guy from Figueroa and who yeah. might know what he's going to do there. But, um, stuff, but. but Quintana as a leader, so that sort of goes towards you. What They'll have saying. a plan A, plan B, and then, gee, oh, mate... Um, Valverde. He'll be back, won't he? Oh, Surely. That's a big question. Still well, question. I don't know, actually, because yeah. of his injury. There's yeah, no... we, do, we still don't, I I don't, think I don't he, know. I think he's still on the precipice of potentially being career over. He'll be back. He'll be back. So? Be, yeah, that's rubbish talk. Of course he'll be back. <laughs> <Just shocking. laughs> we take your votes on Twitter. It's just we'll a flesh wound. It's a flesh wound. That's all. Gee, Get over it, Team Sophie or Team Maka. <laughs> uh, Tom Dumoulin. Do you think uh, will he be one of the, or if not the contender that can really unthrone? Let's hope so. He was sensational at the Giro. And, you know, we we all say, I think, and agree, it's very hard to do both and and try and win both. So he was missed at the Tour based on his Giro performance. Surely he's got to be someone who can step up. Well, Sunweb have sort of, they've been quite reserved in that. They've, even in the lead up to the tour announcement, they said, like everyone does, oh, it depends on the course, but Oren Bargill's not on the team anymore. And for me, Tom Dumoulin is now their front man, really. And I'm sure they'll look at it with Michael Matthews as well and, and balance it up. I was going to say, if Michael was listening to that. Yeah. He knows. I've asked him it's, this year. <laughs> it's, it I is interesting, in though. Disclaimer in there. But it is one of those things if you look in terms of strategy. Like yeah. if you look at Team Sky, 100% backs for him every year. They don't have a plan B. Um, if they do, it's sort of very Loosely, ad hoc in, yeah. in you know the event that Froome crashes out or something terrible happens. But I've got a lot of time for Dumoulin, and he's a very versatile rider. He's young, but he's also old school with his whole wait for the leader jersey thing, which I personally can't stand. But anyway... 
He'll be good around Brittany. Sunweb, yeah, yeah Sunweb absolutely. haven't announced. And he's physic like he's not a sort of really lean climber either. He's not of the build of like Quintana or, you know, Chris Froome where they're skinnier than I am and taller. For me, I'm really looking forward to seeing him race and I hope he's there. Because you're right, Micah, he could be in yellow after Brittany and how strong Sunweb could be to actually maintain this and contain the efforts of Kai. Yes, and let's not forget the team's time trial. Yeah, as well. So that that throws another little champion. element. Yes, yeah. So that's uh, no, no. It's it's it is. I think it's I think it's a good course. I think we'll all agree on that. It's it's got it's got a bit of everything. And Are we excited? Save for the transfer for journalists. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I love about Brittany though. I was going to throw it in at the start. You know what else will be happening? Crips. <laughs> oh, okay. I forgot about the crepes too. No oysters. Oysters. Oh, Oysters. Really? oh yeah, up I that didn't end. Know that. Oh, beautiful. Oh, yeah, oh, my God. Yeah. And oh. There's a couple of uh, local um, alcohols as well. Shushen, for okay. example. No, it's like good. something no, made of alcohol. We've got a few things to sample. It's, uh, there you go. It's got, and uh, I don't like it, but it's quite. <laughs> oh, we'll try <laughs> Apparently, it's quite. Yeah. We're Convince me. Yeah. Convince me. SBS tour team that has our priorities in check. Yeah. Oysters, grapes, all yeah. that race. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah that's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, what else is happening around the world of cycling? Uh, Richie Porte back on the saddle and that's a great news because uh, we haven't talked too, too much about uh, the, the Tour de France for Richie but having him back on the saddle in Japan uh, how exciting is this? Yeah, it's very it's good it's great and it's just good he's back you know his body's back in some sort of shape at least riding shape and no pressure for him I think it was uh, talking to Alan Piper a few weeks ago they were just keen to actually get him racing and said to him, I think, you know, come on, you need to actually, it's like, get out of the house. You so know? What, was that very important for him to race this year, this season? I think so. I, I think that was the talk. Yeah. Get the monkey off the back yep. and then there's yep. sort of less pressure come January and February. poured rain in Japan too, didn't yeah. it? So he picked a shocker to, <laughs> <laughs> flew, what, 14 hours to Japan, raced in the pouring rain after, you know, his last race crashing out in, in uh, you know, very sort of similar average conditions. But no, He's on it's holiday good. now in Japan, I think. So oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so he didn't have too bad a time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's also the, the tour of uh, excuse my pronunciation, but I'm going to say Guangxi. Uh, you were there, uh, Macau. No, I was in. No, the, no, we were in China. So I was in the, in... This is the thing about Asian cycling. You're right, Guangxi, World Tour. Did you know it existed? No, no. Neither <laughs> <laughs> did I. Don't worry. Neither did I. This is the thing, and whether no, it's, it's. Uh, I'm not going to jump on some. I'm not going. To, I'm not going to grandstand or anything. But oh, I'm going to get killed for it. It is a little <laughs> gripe that you know we work in the sport, the industry. Now, I'll be very honest. I don't. I don't sit there and read every single stat like our good friend and colleague Matt Keenan who's who's exceptional at it and he knows yeah yeah. but you think we should know that there's a world (laughs) tour event on in China so for me there's something missing from between the UCI and the promotion of the sport now I was at another tour in China but the there's a lot going on in Asian cycling. So yeah, which let's is a good talk thing. about this because you, you and I we had a quick uh, a quick chat before this. We used to see the end of the season after the World Championship in the old olden days, like my daughter would say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the olden days where there was the the World Championship and then few crits and then season was over. Now, can we say those World Tour in Asia are the new crits? For the for the for the riders and how important are they in in their prep for next year? Can I can I ask answer? Sorry, in a different kind of way. I think that super imp- Asian cycling is super important. The riders and part of the sport maybe don't think it at the moment, but I think they should be paying more attention because there's massive growth potential there. With local riders, 
Yeah, oh. just no, just with the sport. And I think local riders, I think, you know what, I thought about it last week when I was over there and I was thinking, gee, wow, imagine when a Chinese rider, and it will happen one day, wins the stage of the Tour de France. We've had we've had Chinese riders or rider race. The Lanton Rouge. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Finished G- the Tour de France. 2013. Yeah. It will happen. But then I thought we'd almost be better off if a Japanese rider or, or a, a smaller nation, but Asian nation, has a rider that wins a stage in the Tour. Now, the Japanese have had a few riders start in the Tour de France because in China, there's 1.7 billion. And what I realised there is it's like they're in a world of their – they're in their own world. They don't need tourists to go to their country. They've got 1.7 billion mm-hmm. and – you know, they don't care so much about it. Whereas I think if we get an Asian cyclist from Japan or another country, just other countries escape me at the moment, wow, it will just explode to another level. And it's exploding as it is that we've got to, we've got to capture it and the teams have to buy into it and the UCI more. We saw that tour this year when Chris Froome had his uh, winner's press conference. The first question that was asked was from a Chinese journalist that asked him if he planned to return to China to race because he'd once been at the Tour of Beijing. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) I got a few laughs in the press room. But going back to the calendar thing, this is kind of why I think I'm confused anyways. We had a Tour of Beijing that was apparently... I never went to Tour Beijing, but ran really well. And then it came off the calendar for some reason. And then the other race that's back on, I don't know if it's a symptom of different administrations or like it's organized chaos yeah it I is did. organized china is i'll tell you now it's not the best it's organized with the middle east place races. for bike races yeah however they get the job done and there's you know, let's let's not skirt around the edges there's a lot of money there there's a lot of money and that they put, a, and they put a fair say. bit into these bike races so how, if i rephrase my question they are very important those races are very important for riders on a physical point of view, but on a well, money point of view, I would say it's important for the sport on a, in terms of a financial view. It's similar mm. with the Middle East races, you're not going to get these races in poorer nations. You're just not. I think you can say that. For me, you're not going to, also at this point of the season. You're not going to get your big names going and racing in China. I see it as something teams Bling is there might see their. Yeah, through favours and, and other things like that. Whether he's competitive there, I think he went there to ride for his team. He's not riding for himself. I personally see that as, and I'm, I could get shot for this, I don't know, outfits sending their B teams, maybe their stagiaires as a sort of introduction no, to you're the right. World Tour you're before right. next and season. And it shouldn't be that though, and should it? And it's like the Middle East races in February. You'll get the big names at those because it's the start of the season and it counts for World Tour points, which... I think sometimes punters underestimate or forget the importance of that. But they're not necessarily racing in February in the Middle East full blast. It's good for their confidence. It's good to figure out lead-out trains and things like that. But I think China at this part of the season is is the same. And sort of your marquee riders at, at this stage of the year are, are pretty exhausted mm. or have already met their objectives. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one. It, look, it's a good development thing too for younger teams. I mean, I saw a lot of quite a few younger, smaller teams you know, the Conti, pro Conti teams in, in Taihu last week. But there's just a lot on, you know. It's uh, how, to, how to capture it and, and harness it to, to really help the sport, you know, expand in a really good way and in a good direction. I don't know what the answer is. All I know is it's there and, wow, they've got to capture it. And they are. They are capturing it, obviously, but capture it even more.
Okay, we'll keep an eye on, on those races anyway, see how that develops. Mm. Uh, women's cycling, there's been lots of news this week on uh, women's cycling. I'm just going to share one that uh, uh, Tor Wilson, the, the Zwift sensation Tor Wilson, has signed again with uh, Kenyan SRAM. Um, that's good news for, for our sponsor, Zwift, <laughs> um, I guess, because it's part of the, the, what they're trying to do. But uh, what else has been happening in the world of uh, women's cycling? There's been a lot happening. There has. I mean, one for me is the Orica... Orica Scott women's team signing Lucy Kennedy. Um, she's she's she was on the development team this year. She had a UCI win in France, I believe, and she's just one of those athletes that's crossed over from another sport. She, uh, she comes from an athletics background, so that to me that's huge news. Um, I think Aussie women's cycling in particular is actually in a really good place. Um, it's a pity that they don't have as many options as the guys. Because I think there's almost as many girls that can step up into that next level in the next few years. What do you think, Soph? I'd agree. I think it it might we might be at a point now where it's actually giving them creating avenues so that they yeah. can they don't have any. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's so tough. that they can get there. And I think well, like we've got a segue coming into this about what the UCI is is doing. But yeah, they're good enough and they're very passionate. You know, we, we saw that around the World Championships with riders appealing decisions and... And of course, part of uh, the, the announcement of the Tour de France, La Course will be back uh, as well. Yeah. Uh, back in the mountains as well. That's yeah, but only one day. Yeah, but they're keeping the mountains though. They are. That's good. And, and Isouard was a... I think it was a big success. You were there. I was there. I was at the top all day, and it was brilliant. And the you know the the women they they loved it. They thought it was awesome. So I think they thought it was awesome. There was a great crowd. It was beautiful weather, so that helped. But um, yeah, I'm I'm disappointed they haven't added to it. I I'd love to see them, and I know it's tough. I've I've worked in events as well myself, so I know it. It's a lot easier to just say it than actually do it logistically and, and the money, but I would love to see them actually run a one-week tour alongside the Like men. the olden days? They used to like, the, to the, well, to the Shane Bannon, and I'll give Shane Bannon a bit of credit for this, he took the first women's team to the Tour de France many, many years ago, and I think back then it was Liz Heppel. I was a kid. I was inspired. This is, this is I guess, coming from a male's perspective, Sophie, and I'm interested in your thoughts on it. But as a kid, yes, of course, I was inspired first and foremost from the men, but I was inspired from the women as well. And I was engaged in women's racing. So I think it's important that they try and rebuild that. And before you say anything, Sophie, in France, we had Jenny Longo as well, which was yep. winning pretty much everything. She won that tour. Exactly. Jenny Longo won the tour that I'm, that I'm thinking of. It was like 87 or 88. So yeah. she made little French kids dream. David Lapartien was a French kid at that time. Would that be able to, to make him back of his mind somewhere that he could have a, like a kid or childhood memory that women cycling was awesome and still is? I'm sure it still is. And you're speaking in idealistic terms. And I don't know if the stakeholders of cycling at the moment think in idealistic terms. I'm looking at from Personally, I mean, I cover the world, men's world tour mainly, but what's always annoyed me about the women's calendar is so often their major events clash with the primary men's events. So the Giro, which is like the women's Giro, which is I think the, considered the biggest or one of the biggest races on their calendar, clashes with the Tour de France. It's the first week of, timing, of the tour, isn't it? Which yeah. makes no sense because my editor is not going to send me to cover the Giro um, when the tour is on. Mm -hmm. Like it's a unfortunately cold money-making factor and it happens all the time like even at the tour down under I think the women's tour clashes with the men's tour and I think in sports where women sort of have 
as much media coverage, as much um, fame. Like I'm thinking tennis, for example. The events run sort of well, at alongside. the same time but alongside. I think that for me has always been a, a real stickler of you've got to figure out a calendar, a men's calendar and a women's calendar because they are separate events that run very differently but that are complementary. And secondly, I mean, I'd love to see like a longer course. But I think, A, it's logistically and strategically in terms of time. Yeah. But I also don't know if it's cost. Because I've spoken with Tracy Gordry earlier in the week and we were talking about why there's no minimum wage for women's yep. cycling because they've just announced that the men are getting a, a pay rise effectively. The minimum wage has gone up, but still no wage for women. And her justification, or actually not even her justification, the reading I did around it was that even if there was a mandate set, women's teams, and I don't know, the people saying it's just flat-out discrimination and other people saying this is legit, may not even have the sponsorship or the funds yeah, to meet a mandate. That's So therefore, if you don't have funds to meet a minimum wage, do the, like seriously, do these teams have funds to actually put their riders to a three-day race yeah. in the middle of nowhere in France? Yeah, no, you, you, you say some really good points. And, and I think, yeah, speaking, I guess, from someone who's been in this sport my whole life, teams would fall over. Women's teams would fall over if they suddenly said, okay, you have to have a minimum wage for women. So as much as I think plenty of us who are on that, that wagon of, yes, let's support women's cycling and let's try and help build it up, it's baby steps, isn't it? Which is, it sucks, but it's... And it's, maybe that's the same, yeah, they're applying that to yeah, races. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Well, we'll take a short break and then when we come back, we'll talk uh, UCI politics in cycling. Who doesn't love it? Welcome to the SBS Tour de France podcast. It's sponsored by Zwift, the indoor cycling program that lets you ride courses from all across the globe, including your chance to ride on the course from the Richmond World Championships in 2015, where Peter Sagan won. See how you compare. Visit Zwift.com to learn how to join the digital peloton today. Uh, welcome back to the Zwift Cycling Central. We will talk uh, cycling politics now. Hey, well, you two go <laughs> talk politics. I might pen. just go grab a coffee. <laughs> yeah. All right. How, how long are you going to talk politics for? I'll be back. <laughs> no, else seriously. You seriously, big discussion about uh, politics because uh, in, in the last few weeks or even a couple of months, there's been a lot of changes at the head of the UCI at the governing body. Uh, let's listen to David Lapartien. First of all, is the new new uh, UCI president is just going to highlight on what are the focus for UCI in the months and the years to come. Five key areas in, in my program, but however, in, in, inside of this, I would say the fight against technological fraud will be, uh, of course, one of the ma main important issues for us. The other one will be the reform of professional cycling. Of course, this point has been very difficult during the last four years. It's not always easy to find uh, an, an agreement and to share the same vision with all the stakeholders, but we need to do this. And finally, to be able to, to really share a, a vision for the future and to implement this, uh, this reform. So this will be probably uh, the most difficult issue uh, among the three. That was David Lapartie on a new uh, president of the UCI. Uh, guys, a reaction? Uh, I think we are all a little bit got smack with uh, what the focus is. Just a little. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's been a well-documented focus, hasn't it, this mechanical doping. And it's been in the news the last couple of years. We were just saying out of the studio before, I personally don't understand how, why this is this particular type of doping. I mean, anti-doping or doping for the last few administrations has always been a key challenge or focus. 
but why they've singled out mechanical doping. Are they listening to the press? I don't know. Because part of it's sen- – I would say there's been a lot of sensationalism with this going going quite a way back, and I'll give a couple of examples if I need to. Uh, one was David Air Cassani for, uh, on Italian TV a few years ago about Cancellara in Paris-Roubaix saying yeah. that he was – Using uh, mechanical doping. Which on his break. Which was just garbage. It was garbage. Like anyone in their right mind who knows the sport would just say that it's garbage. There's been a video of Froome as well uh, in the yeah. Vuelta where his bike was allegedly moving him around with him pedaling. But you yeah. can't really see if and then, he's going downhill. Up then there's been <laughs> another one of a bike on the roadside yeah. and they've crashed. But the bike was at speed. And so the, the crank is going backwards right on, the, on the – yeah. yeah, Like it's – People are they're clutching at straws, and how many have been caught? Yeah, not not that two, many. three, a handful, which yeah. is why I don't understand. Like, unless they know something we don't, unless there's systematic mechanical doping. Doping. And, yeah, where? But, but yeah. he's not alone. Let, let, let's have a listen. That's Tracy Gontry. You you spoke to her, Sophia. I did. On. She had a very interesting justification as to why, because I asked her outright, why yeah. is this <laughs> such a focus for the new administration? Uh, let's let's listen to Tracy Gontry's opinion on this. Mechanical doping is an issue for us that we are constantly working to ensure we're on top of. And that's why an important why, why Because of the growing prevalence and right prevalence of the use of electric bikes in every everyday society, it's absolutely um, exceptional that we now have electric bikes for everyday personal use. It enables people to become physically able when they otherwise may not be able to do so, particularly for the elderly population to get around um, and for people that live in extremely hilly communities. It's a great way of enabling bike riding as a mode of transport and recreation. But that means technology is also enabling, um, is also now enabled to perpetrate elite sport. So we need to make sure that we're at the very front of that curve. That was uh, Tracy Gontry. Um, clearly, it's because everybody wants a, an electric bike. Are they, are they actually doing the promotion for electric bikes all around the world? Well, they're big in the UK at the moment, electric bikes. I've got a few friends that sort of ride around with their babies in like a little trailer thing at the back. Is that, and with all due respect to, to Tracy Gordry, I, I can't see a clear or strong enough link to go, lots of people are riding around major cities with electrical bikes, therefore that must transpire to being a problem or something that's accessible in a pro peloton. Surely there's so many individual bike manufacturers that and such a this was happening. World. And obviously maybe yeah. like the team's doing it, or the bike manufacturer, but surely that's not something, I'll shoot myself in the foot here, that you could do <laughs> and people would not be overtly suspect about. Well, I'll save this comment for in the next five years yeah, if that comes don't. up. Well, <laughs> I'm going to say it. And I'll, I'll, I will put my hand up in the next eight months if suddenly there's there's a lot of riders from across all disciplines getting caught. If that's what their biggest focus is, our world governing body, that is concerning. And even I'd go as far to say it's alarming. I but think I think your your point here, and I think I completely agree on this, is the fact that they're putting this as their number one fight. Yeah. Against Seriously? things that we actually That's know are happening. This is our new press, our new <laughs> yeah. press. Yeah. You know what? I don't. I, nowadays in our sport, I don't. Yeah, I don't um, get the get the runs on the board. You know, of course he's been voted in, but you got to prove yourself. So so far he's not proving anything to me. He hasn't done anything. Okay, is is what I'm also saying. So I'm giving him benefit of the doubt. But the minute you speak, you're going to be judged, and I'm going to judge you, and I'm going to, and I think we all should because I think. 
to a degree, well, I'm sick of our sport floundering around at the bottom of the pile of other sports when I think it can be doing a lot better job. There's you... justification for it. I mean, at races the last few years, there's been three people officials, caught. Yeah, officials That's scanning it. bikes with these iPads. But it's it's p- not like he's pulled this out of a hat and said, this is our primary concern. But, but to lead your manifesto with this, yeah. I agree. Surely there are other things that you could be focusing but on. I wonder to what extend he's actually responding to the, fre- the to the press. You're right, Matthew, yeah. on this, because before his election, there's been a whole report. If you check on, on YouTube, on the internet, it's there where the French television has been somehow got a hold of a tablet and they were showing that if you scan too quickly, then you can just miss the things and sort of... Ins- Assuming UCI uh, or the controllers from UCI, the, they were not completely doing their job. They were questioning the quality of the tablet as well. Um, all this in French leading television, which are the main producer of the Tour de France. I know we can talk about the link between ASO and UCI, um, but David Lapartien is French. He's probably seen this. He's understood it very yes. clearly. There is no lost in translation in what was said. Are they responding to the press on this? Yeah, yeah, I'm just trying to remember if mechanical doping, as it's being termed, was part of that cert report that Cookson commissioned. Because I don't think it was. I'm actually trying to remember the point where this was first made in like a a perceived problem. Yeah, it's no, it's blow me away. It's it's. I can't remember. Well, they did react at some point. They they came out with the tablet, so at some point it was highlighted. Yeah, I'm just trying to think like the the seed of where where it came from, and it probably to be continued to be to be discussed next podcast. podcast even. Uh, Let's listen to uh, David Lapartien again, where he talks about the 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 relationship between uh, ASO and UCI. Whatever we can sing about ISO, they are here. Uh, they are the main, uh, the main stakeholders, uh, stakeholder of, of cycling. So, uh, of course, with RCS, with Flanders Classic, but they are, they are the, the, the key player. And I think that uh, we must have strong relationships in between UCI and organizers, and among them specifically ISO, of course. Uh, but UCI will, will not take the orders uh, in, in ISO. Uh, but I think the fact that we can have some good relationship uh, can be also a, a good way to really deliver uh, a successful reform uh, with uh, the support also of the teams. Uh, so I think for me it's, it's an advantage. I, I don't see any reason to, be, uh, to, to fight uh, with, uh, with ISO, even if on some points their point of view and our point of view will probably not be the same. But the idea is really to find a way to have a, a global agreement, uh, but not for the advantage only on UCI and ha- on organizers, uh, for the advantage of all the cycling family. This is what we want. A good link between ASO and UCI. How important is this for the world of cycling? It's very important because ASO is, according to La Paciente, you just said it, the biggest stakeholder, if I'm interpreting him correctly. Mm. See, there's a reason there needs to be a fight. The fact of the matter is the last two presidents before him have constantly locked heads with ASO about... Revenue. I think that yeah, I think the honeymoon's already over. <laughs> but he is French, he so maybe that, that is an advantage for him. Like yeah. I don't know. Well, it doesn't excuse it, everything. I'm telling you this. <laughs> no, you'd think if anyone's going to help come to an agreement, but you know what? I can't see it happening. I can't see this perfect harmonious um, agreement between. ASO and UCI because ASO own the TV rights and and in cycling specifically for forever. Uh, the teams and riders have never taken a, a, a cut of the TV rights. They're trying to change this 
now, but the uh, ASO, it's it's about business. It's about your bottom profit line, isn't it? And mm-hmm. why in ASO's minds, and if you were there running that, you'd say, well, no, we haven't had to give you anything for years, so why are we going to now? And they know they're not going. I think cricket, might, Australian cricket might have had a similar problem. Don't quote me on this. All the players, I believe, went on went on strike. And that I think that sort of helped. You know what they did too? Help um, sort of, what am I trying to say, provoke change. Yeah. The ASO knows no one's going to not turn up to the Tour de France. <laughs> well, this is, I said it a few years ago and I said it to a fairly prominent manager of a fairly very prominent rider. And I said to him one day, I said, does there need to be a revolution in cycling? And he said, and this guy is someone who hasn't been in cycling forever. So I wanted, I valued his opinion as a business uh, that opinion. That a downfall as well. And he said, absolutely, there does and I said, yeah, and I mean, like, they need to be on the start line of Paris-Roubaix or Tour de France and not start. And he said, that's what needs to happen. And he said, and this links in what, what you just brought up at cricket, he said, that's what happened in cricket many, many years ago. Mm. But more recently, to your the, the story of the cricket, you know what the guys did? And that wasn't, it wasn't publicised a lot. It was, but not enough. When the guys went to the negotiating table, they said, and the women are on board with this as well. So the women got a they, – they said it doesn't happen unless the women get a pay rise as well, which I thought was awesome. And that, that's what needs to happen in cycling. And they waited to the 11th hour for that to be sealed. Like, well, it, I think it, that it was went on and on and hours on. Hours before, yeah. like, crunch time. Um, yeah, they were taking the thing off the pitch, ready to bowl the first ball. And <laughs> I don't know if it will make a difference that La Patiente is, is French and works better with – you know, than an English president. <laughs> because they can, they you can, can tell me dis- all about the English. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. They, they they can discuss in French, but can also argue in French. Yeah, you know, so that's all but part of the discussion. It's funny because I I asked um, Gaudry that as well. Will it make a difference? And she actually was. She said ASO is a stakeholder, but one of many, which is sort of contrary to what ones. La Patiente has just said, saying, "Oh no, they're they're our, they're our key stakeholder," which I'm sure they. RCS would love to hear. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a far out theory, isn't it, for everyone to go? Well, we're not riding in the Tour de France unless this happens. But like Macra, I don't know if you agree with this. That person that's new to cycling and said that, yeah, you can come in with a fresh outside perspective or look at other sports and go, well, it worked for them. Why wouldn't you do it? But I think cycling, in some degrees, is is quite old school. In that, oh, very there very. are there are yeah around the team buses between team managers between riders between sports directors alliances that go back to before I was born. Yeah, that's that's one of the and, big problems. And, they, and that's maybe, you know, politics within cycling maybe get in the way, cut your nose to spite Yeah, there's too many factions. There's yeah. so many factions. Yeah. You know, tennis, I mean, tennis is a great example of how the players effectively are in charge of their own sport, aren't they? To a, Or have yeah, a huge say. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about um, the future of cycling in the region. When you spoke to Tracy Gontry, uh, she had that to say about the whole region. So with that in mind, with, with the focus on Australia in mind, we then look at how that then translates to international performance. Um, track cycling has been identified as a, as a very clear pathway. Um, however, track cycling, it is one of the, you know, it is the blue riband discipline of cycling. It's the purest discipline and I love it. Um, road, track and mountain bike are great, have a greater participation base. And so they're all great ways to get people to ride bikes, particularly BMX. You know, it's the safest, lowest cost to entry, lowest barrier to entry family discipline. You know, Cycling Australia can and will do very well to ensure all disciplines bring participants in. And then at Oceania level, where I take responsibility and work with the federations across this region, and our role is to grow that next tier of, of sport participation 
and you know we're in we're in the process of strengthening the role of the continental championships and uh, they are the second only behind below the world championships there are eight con eight teams applying for continental status for next year which shows that um, teams in Australia are recognising the opportunity to help their athletes compete on an international scale um, and with the growth of the continental races in this region and the international cycling in this region with Cadell Evans race and the Santos Tour having a women's tour as well as Cadell Williams having a women's tour, Herald Sun Tour having a women's tour attached to that this year for the very first time um, and a new race in New Zealand the continental level of racing is also increasing and improving. We're also growing our membership in the islands. Our, our region is in a really great place to prosper over the next few years. Uh, there was Tracy Gontry here. Um, she's drawing quite a good picture of where the cycling is in the region. So it's a good picture. You've got to be positive. So good, yeah, good on her. She's got to be positive. There's no point of Absolutely. answering that and and giving a negative slant. So, but it's still a bit of a politician's answer. Um, you know, everything's rosy, everything's great. You know, numbers are growing. Did you say in the islands? In the islands, yeah. Like, what sort of numbers are we talking? You know, I, I, I think there's no. I think there's more to be done. But frankly, and I think they've, I've, uh, being my bonnet is, I think they've got to shift the focus away from putting all the funding towards track cycling. And I think they need to put, they actually need to put funding down to grassroots. So a lot, a lot of people won't like that, what I'm saying, including current athletes and ones who've been to Olympic Games, because track cycling outside of the Olympics, the sport's dying. It's dying 100 deaths a minute. So, you know, you can't sit here and say that track cycling's this big Why is boom. that actually? Because it's not as accessible as road cycling. Simply it, because it's maybe that's one of them. I disagree. I wouldn't necessarily say that. It hasn't been promoted well. I mean, I would say in Australia it's almost an Olympic sport, so you get excited about it. And again, I'm going to get killed for saying this, but it's an Olympic year. It's a bit like swimming. Yeah. Like you get excited when it's Olympic year, and you know you got your Michael Phelpses and your whoever. And then USA for the next three and a half years, but it's then forgotten. you kind of like no one cares. Like so you're the majority of people don't care. Um, you're disregarding the Commonwealth Games. Uh-huh. The what? The what? <laughs> Commonwealth Games. <laughs> oh, Read no, into that what you will. It's true. Yeah. And it's, I mean, this discussion can go on for hours. I'm talking hours about from a, from a media know. standpoint. You're not, right, though. I mean, You're... athletes obviously proud to be there. It's representing your nation and, and so on and so forth. Build the base first is, I guess, my yeah, point, with the I grassroots. Mean, and then you will have this huge pool of riders at the top. Whereas if you keep putting your funding... And, and it I, makes sense, like there's more track events at the Olympics and more chance to get medals, so that's what the government invests in. I get that, but we haven't been great on the track for a few years and I don't know what their budget looks like, but why not invest a bit more into the road team or a bit more into the like, big and, next team? And, and, and I reckon an argument to back up what we're saying, look at the New Zealand track squad in the last few years at Olympics and World Championships. Now, I don't have the exact stats in front of me. They have punched way above their budget. So they've 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 been better than Australia at a couple on a couple of occasions, and I can tell you their budget would be way less. So, what does that tell you that it's not working? So no matter how much money you throw at it, okay. Now if you want to throw millions and millions like the UK have done, but we don't have millions like that, and yeah. we never will have. So I think get a bit smarter with where you. And it's money a different goes. environment in in the UK track racing. It's a bit like. In continental Europe, there's a lot more track racing domestically, like the London Six, which I think is on at the minute, Cameron Mine is racing there. Um, it's as much sold as a showcase as, you know, the Revolution Series and a lot of their domestic teams are also track cyclists. So it's different in like different nations where 
But that's what they should be doing. You know, and too. it's like in Europe, people go and it's like the you know, Gent Six Day. People yeah. go there. It's like our version of Spring Carnival. They go there to drink. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> there's some bike racing on in the background, but you've got a lot of riders that cross over and it's got entertainment value as well as sporting value. Whereas here, you know, how many people outside of the smart cycling community would go to DISC, for example, in Victoria and watch a race every weekend? Parents only. Parents and friends, and that's about it. 